Chapter eighteen of part two of elective affinities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Elective affinities by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Part two. Chapter eighteen. The most remarkable feature, however, which was observed about Ottilie was that, for the first time, she had now unpacked the box and had selected a variety of things out of it which she had cut up and which were intended evidently to make one complete suit for her the rest with nanny's assistance she had endeavoured to replace again and she had been hardly able to get it done the space being over full although a portion had been taken out the covetous little nanny could never satisfy herself with looking at all the pretty things especially as she found provision made there for every article of dress which could be wanted even the smallest numbers of shoes and stockings garters with devices on them gloves and various other things were left and she begged ottilie just to give her one or two of them ottilie refused to do that but opened a drawer in her wardrobe and told the girl to take what she liked the latter hastily and awkwardly dashed in her hand and seized what she could running off at once with her booty to show it off and display her good fortune among the rest of the servants at last ottilie succeeded in packing everything carefully into its place she then opened a secret compartment which was contrived in the lid where she kept a number of notes and letters from edward many dried flowers the mementos of their early walks together a lock of his hair and various other little matters she now added one more to them her father's portrait and then locked it all up and hung the delicate key by a gold chain about her neck against her heart in the meantime her friends had now in their hearts begun to entertain the best hopes for her charlotte was convinced that she would one day begin to speak again she had latterly seen signs about her which implied that she was engaged in secret about something a look of cheerful self-satisfaction a smile like that which hangs about the face of persons who have something pleasant and delightful which they are keeping concealed from those whom they love no one knew that she spent many hours in extreme exhaustion and that only at rare intervals when she appeared in public through the power of her will she was able to rouse herself Mittler had latterly been a frequent visitor, and when he came he stayed longer than he usually did at other times. This strong-willed, resolute person was only too well aware that there is a certain moment in which alone it will answer to smite the iron. Ottilie's silence and reserve he interpreted according to his own wishes. No steps had as yet been taken towards the separation of the husband and wife. He hoped to be able to determine the fortunes of the poor girl in some not undesirable way. He listened, he allowed himself to seem convinced, he was discreet and unobtrusive, and conducted himself in his own way with sufficient prudence. There was but one occasion on which he uniformly forgot himself, when he found an opportunity for giving his opinion upon subjects to which he attached a great importance. He lived much within himself, and when he was with others his only relation to them generally was in active employment on their behalf. But if once, when among friends, his tongue broke fairly loose, as on more than one occasion we have already seen, he rolled out his words in utter recklessness, whether they wounded or whether they pleased, whether they did evil or whether they did good. The evening before the birthday, the Major and Charlotte were sitting together expecting Edward, who had gone out for a ride. Mittler was walking up and down the saloon. Ottilie was in her own room, laying out the dress which she was to wear on the morrow, and making signs to her maid about a number of things, which the girl, who perfectly understood her silent language, arranged as she was ordered. Mittler had fallen exactly on his favourite subject. One of the points on which he used most to insist was that in the education of children, as well as in the conduct of nations, 
there was nothing more worthless and barbarous than laws and commandments forbidding this and that action man is naturally active he said wherever he is and if you know how to tell him what to do he will do it immediately and keep straight in the direction in which you set him i myself in my own circle am far better pleased to endure faults and mistakes till i know what the opposite virtue is that i am to enjoin than to be rid of the faults and to have nothing good to put in their place a man is really glad to do what is right and sensible if he only knows how to get at it it is no such great matter with him he does it because he must have something to do and he thinks no more about it afterwards than he does of the silliest freaks which he engaged in out of the purest idleness i cannot tell you how it annoys me to hear people going over and over those ten commandments in teaching children the fifth is a thoroughly beautiful rational preceptive precept thou shalt honour thy father and thy mother if the children will inscribe that well upon their hearts they have the whole day before them to put it in practice but the sixth now what can we say to that thou shalt do no murder as if any man ever felt the slightest general inclination to strike another man dead men will hate sometimes they will fly into passions and forget themselves and as a consequence of this or other feelings it may easily come now and then to a murder but what a barbarous precaution it is to tell children that they are not to kill or murder if the commandment ran have a regard for the life of another put away whatever can do him hurt save him though with peril to yourself if you injure him consider that you are injuring yourself that is the form which should be in use among educated reasonable people and in our catechism teaching we have only an awkward clumsy way of sliding into it through a what do you mean by that and as for the seventh that is utterly detestable what to stimulate the precocious curiosity of children to pry into dangerous mysteries to obtrude violently upon their imaginations ideas and notions which beyond all things you should wish to keep from them it were far better if such actions as that commandment speaks of were dealt with arbitrarily by some secret tribunal then prated openly of before church and congregation at this moment ottilie entered the room thou shalt not commit adultery mittler went on how coarse how brutal what a different sound it has if you let it run thou shalt hold in reverence the bond of marriage when thou seest a husband and a wife between whom there is true love thou shalt rejoice in it and their happiness shall gladden thee like the cheerful light of a beautiful day if there arise anything to make division between them thou shalt use thy best endeavour to clear it away thou shalt labour to pacify them and to soothe them to show each of them the excellencies of the other thou shalt not think of thyself but purely and disinterestedly thou shalt seek to further the well-being of others and make them feel what a happiness is that which arises out of all duty done and especially out of that duty which holds man and wife indissolubly bound together charlotte felt as if she was sitting on hot coals the situation was the more distressing as she was convinced that mittler was not thinking the least where he was or what he was saying and before she was able to interrupt him she saw ottilie after changing colour painfully for a few seconds rise and leave the room charlotte constrained herself to seem unembarrassed you will leave us the eighth commandment she said with a faint smile all the rest replied mittler if i may only insist first on the foundation of the whole of them at this moment nanny rushed in screaming and crying she's dying the young lady's dying come to her come ottilie had found her way back with extreme difficulty to her own room the beautiful things which she was to wear the next day were laid out on a number of chairs and the girl who had been running from one to the other staring at them and admiring them called out in her ecstasy look dearest madam only look there's a bridal dress worthy of you ottilie heard the word and sank upon the sofa nanny saw her mistress turn pale fall back and faint 
she ran for charlotte who came the medical friend was on the spot in a moment he thought it was nothing but exhaustion he ordered some strong soup to be brought ottilie refused it with an expression of loathing it almost threw her into convulsions when they put the cup to her lips a light seemed to break on the physician he asked hastily and anxiously what ottilie had taken that day the little girl hesitated he repeated his question and she then acknowledged that ottilie had taken nothing there was a nervousness of manner about nanny which made him suspicious he carried her with him into the adjoining room charlotte followed and the girl threw herself on her knees and confessed that for a long time past ottilie had taken as good as nothing at her mistress's urgent request she had herself eaten the food which had been brought for her she had said nothing about it because ottilie had by signs alternately begged her not to tell any one and threatened her if she did and as she innocently added because it was so nice the major and mittler now came up as well they found charlotte busy with the physician the pale beautiful girl was sitting apparently conscious in the corner of the sofa they had begged her to lie down she had declined to do this but she made signs to have her box brought and resting her feet upon it placed herself in an easy half recumbent position she seemed to be wishing to take leave and by her gestures was expressing to all about her the tenderest affection love gratitude entreaties for forgiveness and the most heartfelt farewell edward on alighting from his horse was informed of what had happened he rushed to the room threw himself down at her side and seizing her hand deluged it with silent tears in this position he remained a long time at last he called out and am i never more to hear your voice will you not turn back toward life to give me one single word well then very well i will follow you yonder and there we will speak in another language she pressed his hand with all the strength she had she gazed at him with a glance full of life and full of love and drawing a long breath and for a little while moving her lips inarticulately with a tender effort of affection she called out promise me to live and then fell back immediately i promise i promise he cried to her but he cried only after her she was already gone after a miserable night the care of providing for the loved remains fell upon charlotte the major and mittler assisted her edward's condition was utterly pitiable his first thought when he was in any degree recovered from his despair and able to collect himself was that ottilie should not be carried out of the castle she should be kept there and attended upon as if she were alive for she was not dead it was impossible that she should be dead they did what he desired at least so far as that they did not do what he had forbidden he did not ask to see her there was now a second alarm and a further cause for anxiety nanny who had been spoken to sharply by the physician had been compelled by threats to confess and after her confession had been overwhelmed with reproaches had now disappeared after a long search she was found but she appeared to be out of her mind her parents took her home but the gentlest treatment had no effect upon her and she had to be locked up for fear she should run away again they succeeded by degrees in recovering edward from the extreme agony of despair but only to make him more really wretched he now saw clearly he could not doubt now that the happiness of his life was gone from him for ever it was suggested to him that if ottilie was placed in the chapel she would still remain among the living and it would be a calm quiet peaceful home for her there was much difficulty in obtaining his consent he would only give it under condition that she should be taken there in an open coffin that the vault in which she was laid if covered at all should be only covered with glass and a lamp should be kept always burning there it was arranged that this should be done and then he seemed resigned 
they clothed the delicate body in the festal dress which she had herself prepared a garland of asters was wreathed about her head which shone sadly there like melancholy stars to decorate the bier in the church and chapel the gardens were robbed of their beauty they lay desolate as if a premature winter had blighted all their loveliness in the earliest morning she was borne in an open coffin out of the castle and the heavenly features were once more reddened with the rising sun the mourners crowded about her as she was being taken along none would go before none would follow every one would be where she was every one would enjoy her presence for the last time men and women and little boys there was not one unmoved least of all to be consoled were the girls who felt most immediately what they had lost nanny was not present it had been thought better not to allow it and they had kept secret from her the day and the hour of the funeral she was at her parents house closely watched in a room looking towards the garden but when she heard the bells tolling she knew too well what they meant and her attendant having left her out of curiosity to see the funeral she escaped out of the window into a passage and from thence finding all the doors locked into an upper open loft at this moment the funeral was passing through the village which had been all freshly strewed with leaves nanny saw her mistress plainly close below her more plainly more entirely than any one in the procession underneath she appeared to be lifted above the earth borne as it were on clouds or waves and the girl fancied she was making signs to her her senses swam she tottered swayed herself for a moment on the edge and fell to the ground the crowd fell asunder on all sides with a cry of horror in the tumult and confusion the bearers were obliged to set down the coffin the girl lay close by it it seemed as if every limb was broken they lifted her up and by accident or providentially she was allowed to lean over the body she appeared indeed to be endeavouring with what remained to her of life to reach her beloved mistress scarcely however had the loosely hanging limbs touched ottilie's robe and the parlous finger rested on the folded hands then the girl started up and first raising her arms and eyes towards heaven flung herself down upon her knees before the coffin and gazed with passionate devotion at her mistress at last she sprang as if inspired from off the ground and cried with a voice of ecstasy yes she has forgiven me what no man what i myself could never have forgiven god forgives me through her look her motion her lips now she is lying again so still and quiet but you saw how she raised herself up and unfolded her hands and blessed me and how kindly she looked at me you all heard you can witness that she said to me you are forgiven i am not a murderess any more she has forgiven me god has forgiven me and no one may now say anything more against me the people stood crowding around her they were amazed they listened and looked this way and that and no one knew what should next be done bear her on to her rest said the girl she has done her part she has suffered and cannot now remain any more among us the bier moved on nanny now following it and thus they reached the church and the chapel so now stood the coffin of ottilie with the child's coffin at her head and her box at her feet enclosed in a resting place of massive oak a woman had been provided to watch the body for the first part of the time as it lay there so beautifully beneath its glass covering but nanny would not permit this duty to be taken from herself she would remain alone without a companion and attend to the lamp which was now kindled for the first time and she begged to be allowed to do it with so much eagerness and perseverance that they let her have her way to prevent any greater evil that might ensue but she did not long remain alone as night was falling and the hanging lamp began to exercise its full right and shed abroad a larger lustre the door opened and the architect entered the chapel the chastely ornamented walls in the mild light looked more strange more awful more antique 
than he was prepared to see them. Nanny was sitting on one side of the coffin. She recognised him immediately, but she pointed in silence to the pale form of her mistress. And there stood he on the other side, in the vigour of youth and of grace, with his arms drooping and his hands clasped piteously together, motionless, with head and eye inclined over the inanimate body. Once already he had stood thus before in the Belisarius. He had now involuntarily fallen into the same attitude. And this time how naturally! Here too was something of inestimable worth thrown down from its high estate. There were courage, prudence, power, rank and wealth in one single man, lost irrevocably. There were qualities which in decisive moments had been of indispensable service to the nation and the prince, but which, when the moment was past, were no more valued, but flung aside and neglected and cared for no longer. And here were many other silent virtues, which had been summoned but a little time before by nature out of the depths of her treasures, and now swept rapidly away again by her callous hand, rare, sweet, lovely virtues, whose peaceful workings the thirsty world had welcomed, while it had them with gladness and joy, and now was sorrowing for them in unveiling desire. Both the youth and the girl were silent for a long time. But when she saw the tears streaming fast down his cheeks, and he appeared to be sinking under the burden of his sorrow, she spoke to him with so much truthfulness and power, with such kindness and such confidence that, astonished at the flow of her words, he was able to recover himself, and he saw his beautiful friend floating before him in the new life of a higher world. His tears ceased flowing, his sorrow grew lighter. On his knees he took leave of Ottilie, and with a warm pressure of the hand of Nanny, he rode away from the spot into the night, without having seen a single other person. The surgeon had, without the girl being aware of it, remained all night in the church, and when he went in the morning to see her, he found her cheerful and tranquil. He was prepared for wild aberrations. He thought that she would be sure to speak to him of conversations which she had held in the night with Ottilie, and of other such apparitions. But she was natural, quiet, and perfectly self-possessed. She remembered accurately what had happened in her previous life. She could describe the circumstances of it with the greatest exactness, and never in anything which she said stepped out of the course of what was real and natural, except in her account of what had passed with the body, which she delighted to repeat again and again, how Ottilie had raised herself up, had blessed her, had forgiven her, and thereby set her at rest for ever. Ottilie remained so long in her beautiful state, which more resembled sleep than death, that a number of persons were attracted there to look at her. The neighbours and the villagers wished to see her again, and every one desired to hear Nanny's incredible story from her own mouth. Many laughed at it, most doubted, and some few were found who were able to believe. Difficulties, for which no real satisfaction is attainable, compel us to faith. Before the eyes of all the world Nanny's limbs had been broken, and by touching the sacred body she had been restored to strength again. Why should not others find similar good fortune? Delicate mothers first privately brought their children, who were suffering from obstinate disorders, and they believed that they could trace an immediate improvement. The confidence of the people increased, and at last there was no one so old or so weak as not to have come to seek fresh life and health and strength at this place. The concourse became so great that they were obliged, except at the hours of divine service, to keep the church and chapel closed. Edward did not venture to look at her again. He lived on mechanically. He seemed to have no tears left, and to be incapable of any further suffering. His power of taking interest in what was going on diminished every day. His appetite gradually failed. The only refreshment which did him any good was what he drank out of the glass which to him, indeed, had been but an untrue prophet. He continued to gaze at the intertwining initials, 
and the earnest cheerfulness of his expression seemed to signify that he still hoped to be united with her at last and as every little circumstance combines to favour the unfortunate and every accident contributes to elate him so do the most trifling occurrences love to unite to crush and overwhelm the unhappy one day as edward raised the beloved glass to his lips he put it down and thrust it from him with a shudder it was the same and not the same he missed a little private mark upon it the valet was questioned and had to confess that the real glass had not long since been broken and that one like it belonging to the same set had been substituted in its place edward could not be angry his destiny had spoken out with sufficient clearness in the fact and how should he be affected by the shadow and yet it touched him deeply he seemed now to dislike drinking and thenceforward purposely to abstain from food and from speaking but from time to time a sort of restlessness came over him he would desire to eat and drink something and would begin again to speak ah he said one day to the major who now seldom left his side how unhappy i am that all my efforts are but imitations ever and false and fruitless what was blessedness to her is pain to me and yet for the sake of this blessedness i am forced to take this pain upon myself i must go after her follow her by the same road but my nature and my promise hold me back it is a terrible difficulty indeed to imitate the inimitable i feel clearly my dear friend that genius is required for everything for martyrdom as well as the rest what shall we say of the endeavours which in this hopeless condition were made for him his wife his friends his physician incessantly laboured to do something for him but it was all in vain at last they found him dead mittler was the first to make the melancholy discovery he called the physician and examined closely with his usual presence of mind the circumstances under which he had been found charlotte rushed into them she was afraid that he had committed suicide and accused herself and accused others of unpardonable carelessness but the physician on natural and mittler on moral grounds was soon able to satisfy her of the contrary it was quite clear that edward's end had taken him by surprise in a quiet moment he had taken out of his pocket-book and out of a casket everything which remained to him as memorials of ottilie and had spread them out before him a lock of hair flowers which had been gathered in some happy hour and every letter which she had written to him from the first which his wife had ominously happened to give him it was impossible that he would intentionally have exposed these to the danger of being seen by the first person who might happen to discover him but so lay the heart which but a short time before had been so swift and eager at rest now where it could never be disturbed and falling asleep as he did with his thoughts on one so saintly he might well be called blessed charlotte gave him his place at ottilie's side and arranged that henceforth no other person should be placed with them in the same vault in order to secure this she made it a condition under which she settled considerable sums of money on the church and the school so lie the lovers sleeping side by side peace hovers above their resting-place fair angel faces gaze down upon them from the vaulted ceiling and what a happy moment that will be when one day they wake again together end of chapter eighteen end of elective affinities by johann wolfgang von goethe